0: It's inevitable that if you own zero Bitcoin right now, you're taking extreme amounts of risk.
1: Hello there from Bedford in the United Kingdom, the Bitcoin capital of the world. How are you all? Oh my God, Bitcoin hit $60,000 this weekend. Kind of amazing, really. This train won't stop. Just a year ago when the market crashed to below $4,000 and here we are. New all-time highs happening all the time. Pretty good. I think all of you must be feeling very good about this. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by the mighty Kraken, the best place to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And today I've got an interview with Greg Foss, where we're going to get into rising yield rates on treasuries and why Bitcoin is the best asymmetric trade ever. But before that, I do have a message from my show sponsors and with Bitcoin at 60k. There is no better time than to talk about Casa, which is the very best in Bitcoin security. And I know some of you are making some incredible gains this year. So have you got your security shit together? Have you? Now, I did this around 10 months ago, and I am protected from hackers, my own stupid mistakes, in-person attacks, device failure, and so much more. And with Casa, if you are considering them, they have a product for every Bitcoiner. With Casa Gold, you get triple the security of a hardware wallet for only $10 a month. And with Casa Platinum, you get their 3 or 5 multi-sig. And with Casa Diamond, you get the full service offering. This comes with a personalized security review, inheritance planning, and of course, their best-in-class in security. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Next up, we have my good friends over in Estonia, sportsbet.io, the very best place for online gaming because they're badasses and they accept Bitcoin. Now, they have done so much amazing stuff to support Bitcoin since I've known them. And most recently, they put a Bitcoin logo on the front of a Premier League shirt. So if you're watching Premier League football and you're watching Southampton, you will notice the Bitcoin logo is on their shirt. They're telling the world about Bitcoin. And now with sportsbet.io, you have every market you could possibly be interested in. They've got football, tennis, American sports, motorsports, even esports, everything you can think of. And for new customers, they always have a range of promotions available. So if you want to find out more, head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. And also, we're going to talk about Exodus Wallet. Now, as some of you know, I've been having some banking issues. Lloyds Bank, who I've been with for 25 years, gave me 65 days notice. They're closing down all my accounts. And add to that, I'm increasingly running my business using Bitcoin. I get paid in Bitcoin. I pay people in Bitcoin. And so I needed a way to get my audits together at the end of the month because my accountant was always like, well, who have you been sending this Bitcoin to? Who have you been getting it from? How much is it? What was the date? And you know, I'd been doing a shit job. So I needed a wallet solution to have a proper audit for my accountant to keep this stuff in order. So when Exodus reached out, I was like, well, okay, let's take a look and they smashed it. Their wallet is so easy to use. The UX is amazing. So I was like, okay, let's do this. So now I use Exodus. And if you want to check it out, you just need to head over to Exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. Okay, so on to the show today. And I have Greg Foss on to talk me through rising yields and treasuries and why Bitcoin is insurance for investment portfolios. Now this is a show I've been planning since last month after I spoke to Lynn Alden and having heard Greg on Marty's Tales from the Crypt and John's Bitcoin Rapid Fire podcast, I knew I had to get him on because I had questions. When I spoke with Lynn, she had explained rising treasury yields and it was something I knew I had to get into further, but I also needed some clarity around my thinking because you know some of it didn't make sense. So I asked Greg to come on and talk me through this and let me put some questions to him and with his over 30 years of experience in bonds, banks and the credit markets, He was the perfect person to do it. Now, Greg also explains why he believes all fiat currencies are in a debt spiral and it's only a matter of time until we see them begin to fail and devaluation is inevitable. It was a monster show and I didn't know it was possible, but I am even more bullish on Bitcoin. So, I did have some recorded issues on this one. We got about half an hour in, and for the first time ever with the software I use, I've noticed it wasn't recording Greg, which was annoying. So, we had to start again. you probably won't even notice, but we talk about it a couple of times. Anyway, look, Greg smashed this one. I'm definitely going to get back on the show in the future. If you enjoy the show, if you want to reach out to me, if you've got any questions, you can do. I do reply to everyone. Getting a lot of emails right now, but do feel free to reach out to me. My email address is hello at did.com. Also, if you want to check out my other work, please head over to defiance.news. We've got a new series there at the moment. It's about what's going on with Britney Spears and her conservatorship. That's at defiance.news. Very interesting topic. And also you can sign up to my newsletter. That's at neveredit.com. That is a daily dose of Bitcoin tech and macro. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the show and I will see you later in the week. Greg, how are you, man?
0: Well, I'm doing well. Uh, This is our second take at this, ladies and gentlemen. But thank you again for having me, Peter. It's an honor.
1: Hey, man. Well, it's great to have you on. I've read your thesis, which uh, I understood some of. I understood a lot of the Bitcoin stuff, uh, but it's super interesting. It was very, very interesting. I had to get you on. I listened to your show with John. Uh, I haven't listened to one with Marty yet, but um, it's nice to see you out there making some moves in the Bitcoin world, sharing your ideas with people. You've made me a lot more bullish on Bitcoin, so thank you. So I'm going to encourage anyone who listens to this, go into the show notes and follow the link to the Bitcoin thesis that Greg has written. Go and check that out. Um, and we're going to cover a lot of that today. And I'm going to try and get you to explain uh, some of this some of this to me. So there's been a lot of talk recently about the bond markets. And I had Lynn Alden on my show, and we were talking about bond markets and yield curves. And be honest, I didn't understand all of it. But one thing I wasn't honest with Lynn about uh, and I didn't fully understand until somebody else explained it to the, explained it to me this week. But when the bond yields went up, I was like, but this surely this is good because you're going to get a higher return on your bonds. This must be a good thing. Yet Zero Hedge was making it out like it was a bad deal. All the people commenting on their tweet were saying, whoa, popcorn out. And I, I was a bit embarrassed, dude. I was, I was like, I don't understand why this is a bad thing. So can we start with the bond market? Can we first... Can we have like a good, broad explanation of what the bond market is and how it works?
0: Okay, excellent. So let's start with um, what we'll start with the US. treasury market because that is firstly the biggest bond market in the world. It sets the base rate of borrowing for the most important borrower in the world, the US. Treasury. And it is somewhat sometimes defined as setting the risk-free borrowing rate amongst which all other borrowing rates are compared. So let's talk about the U.S. Treasury 10-year rate right now, 1.5% thereabouts, and it's gone in my career. I started trading 32 years ago. When I started trading, U.S. Treasury 10-year rate was 14%. And that's an
1: annualized rate.
0: That is correct, 14% per year. And it decreased all the way to close to zero. In fact, it hit 60 basis points or 0.6% in the 10 year in February of last year, I believe, or excuse me, probably March of last year. Um, and now it's gone from 60 basis points, 0.6%, back to 1.5%. Now that has gotten people all bent out of shape. And for me, it's funny because, hey guys, when I started, it was 14%, and all it's done is gone up. 90 to 100 basis points, and it feels like the world's unraveling. It's not unraveling. It's just that the markets are setting a discount rate for returns, risk-adjusted returns, inflation-adjusted returns for the US Treasury in the 10-year. And on that rate, though, and this is important, Peter, all other discount rates are correlated.
1: And this is this is the key point, and this is where I think the light bulb. Uh, went on for me because I was like, well, surely this is great because if the yield rates are going up, then you're going to get a better return on, on your treasury. So surely that's great. What I didn't realize is this resale market for bond rates. And, and when when the yields go up, it essentially reprices all the old treasury bills.
0: At a point, yeah, exactly. Treasury bonds. Let's be uh, yeah, technicalities are important. Yeah. A T bill is ten, tends to be ninety days or less.
1: Okay. A
0: bond tends to be a ten year. A note is a five year. Let's not get too too bogged down, but gen, let's talk yep. about with, where the rates are right now. Five years under one percent. Ten years one and a half percent. Thirty years two point two five percent. And and I'm going to hit something important here. You said yes as a, a lender. You're happy that rates are going higher because you are able to get a higher return. So lenders are savers. Lenders are people like uh, pension funds that have to match assets and liabilities. Yes, they get a higher rate. But the truth is, when rates are as low as they are right now, and Jim Grant was just on CNBC this morning, he says it's hugely biased in favor of the borrower, and that has caused opportunistic pricing and opportunistic uh, levels in even as far out as equities, because the equity discount rates are implicitly set by the US Treasury. Again, equity rates or excuse me, equity uh, prices are net present values of cash flows of companies. And those cash flows, when the rates that you discount those at change, the net present value of those cash flows changes, well. So again, everything's correlated. But the key is the U.S. Treasury ten-year, thirty-year, five-year.
1: Right. Okay. And and so what I'm trying to understand is is that the, these are there's a really liquid market for these bonds,
0: mm-hmm. traded
1: continually. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's use the example as the pension funds. They always want to get a you know they're always happier with a lower return but a safe return, right? generally speaking it
0: depends again everything's risk adjusted so if you if you're very risky but you're being compensated or you think you're being compensated for it yeah you you you, uh you you make that investment
1: as well but say you're holding a certain bond that's got i don't know 10 years left on it at a certain rate let's say you still got a five percent rate on it um
0: five percent coupon let's talk okay so it's got a five percent coupon yeah
1: okay a five percent coupon what would be a reason, would there be a reason to sell that and uh, and then buy a, a, a new bond with a new coupon? Say, you know, because so, you've only got like five years left and you think, okay, mm-hmm. w- there's another one out here. It's got a, like a lower yield, but it's got a longer time frame on it. We'll exchange that out. Is that,
0: is that what's goes on? Okay. You, you, so let, let I think you might have just uh, confused something if it was a longer time frame the yield generally wouldn't be lower it would be higher. be higher but but let's just assume so so yes why do why do bonds trade why do people make adjustments to their portfolio well there's inflation expectations they adjust and therefore they say if inflation's going to increase I'm going to decrease my duration. I'm going to take a 20-year bond and trade that 20-year bond for like a six-year bond. So there could be all sorts of uh, mix, mixing and matching of maturity buckets. There could be things like, uh, you know, all of a sudden you're, you've been redeemed. Let's say you, you're you're a hedge uh, or bond fund manager and all of a sudden you're getting tons of uh, people wanting cash. Well, you don't deliver them bonds. You have to deliver them cash. So they have to go to the bond market and sell. Why would people be redeeming their bond funds? Because they actually do some math and say bonds are for you know, bonds are not a great investment right now. So how do you hedge against that? Well, you take a 30-year bond and you sell it and maybe you own a two-year bond. So your duration and your convexity risk is much lower on a two-year than it is on a 30-year. And this is why bond markets are continually ebbing and flowing for adjustments according to maturity buckets, redemptions. This is exactly what happens in a risk in a uh, open market setting of the risk, the quote unquote risk free rate of the U.S. Treasury.
1: Right. Okay. And but there are there are bonds from all different countries, all different currencies, and I guess they have their own risk levels. So uh, I guess. Hundred percent. So, so I guess if you were borrowing, I mean, I imagine the pound and the euro are pretty good at the moment. But let's just say I don't know. there's a country like um, Argentina issue bonds? But yeah you know, because it's a higher risk, higher currency. they have to offer a much higher interest rate
0: you you nailed it, yes, exactly. I, I like to say they'll always look at the various borrowing in the same currency that way you don't get cross currency uh, considerations and uh, interest rate parity, you you remember these uh, these these finance. Uh, things in your econ 101. Um, If you look at Argentina borrowing in US debt, the dollar denominated debt versus the US Treasury, yes, exactly, there'll be a spread in there that compensates investors for lending money to uh, Argentina because it's more risky. And that spread is called a credit spread. Mm -hmm. And that credit spread is compensates you for the risk that Argentina will not fulfill their uh, borrowing obligation.
1: So why did the yield rates jump recently? What was that big? What was the big jump for? Like I saw, you know, I know what's going on. Right, there is risk of inflation. There was Jerome Powell's comments. Um, there is the uh, continual money printing. We have the one point nine trillion dollar stimulus. It, it, why was there a jump in the yield rates?
0: Great question. So there's two. There were two events. It, let, let's hit the one that I think was uh, was very material. Was the the, the recent seven year auction. Um, it was a horrible auction by by many people's uh, evaluation. Um, Barons came out and said it was the worst auction they'd ever seen since they were uh, rating auctions. Um, it's still you, you have to understand, it's still clear the the amount of debt that they the treasury wanted to sell was absolutely scooped up. It's just that the price was a lot higher than they anticipated they had to sell it. When I say price, they had to pay a higher yield on their bonds. There were still twice as many buyers. For the amount of debt, that's called a bid-to-cover ratio, as was being offered. It just backed up. It was like they expected it to clear, and I don't even remember where it cleared, but let's say they expected it to clear at 1.2%, and it ended up clearing at 1.27%. Oh, my God, seven basis points. Hey, guys, this is how markets recalibrate. This happens. Uh, supply and demand, It w- the supply and demand were met, but it was just at a different yield price than the government wanted to uh, stomach
1: because the yield rate is essentially people assessing the risk of return.
0: Boy, Inflation risk or, yep. and or credit risk. Now, yep. people always say that the US Treasury is, the def- is, is uh, credit risk free. That's not true. The credit default swap market, which is a very important market and even more esoteric to most people than the bond market, currently charges the US Treasury 10 basis points for a five year term to hedge or excuse me, to insure against default.
1: Right. Okay. Okay. So that price is, that price is the risk of default. Um, But we also
0: have- That is, it's included in your total rate. So what's the most important thing in your total rate is your inflation expectations. But you cannot say it's zero risk of default because there's a default insurance market out there that's charging you 10 basis points. That means it costs you $1,000, excuse me, it costs you $10,000 a year for five years to insure $10 million of U.S. Treasury debt against default. Well,
1: what's the scenario where the U.S. does default? Because my-
0: people don't take their money anymore. So they keep printing and then there'll be a de facto default, uh, just like in, in, in Venezuela. Hey, they printed the money to satisfy the obligation. The problem is, the problem is that fiat money ended up on the curb uh, it, to go to their uh, garbage dump, right?
1: Yeah. Okay, so the the risk of default comes because people won't take the debt anymore because they don't because it.
0: So it's, they don't roll it over. They do not roll it over, and that's what happens when you're in a debt spiral. D E B T. Yeah. Which we are in, you continually have to roll your debt. Yeah. And if people stop rolling the debt, that's a de facto default, and we're in big trouble.
1: And so, so the international bond market is essentially a liquid market for those people with money for looking for interest
0: the most liquid yeah. market correct and the most sophisticated managers of risk um whether they're pension funds uh calpers has a, a has a let's just say calpers has a a, a portfolio that approaches a 60 40 weighting 60% debt uh, excuse me 60% equities 40% debt well That debt has to go somewhere. It can go into treasury debt. It can go into corporate debt. It can go into mortgage-backed securities. It can go into foreign debt. But yes, that 40% is sophisticated money seeking a lower return than equities because bonds generally are lower risk than equities, but they're not zero. So you need to be compensated.
1: Yes. Okay. Okay. I understand it now. So, So essentially the bond market is, it's also sending kind of like the confidence level in each economy
0: bingo man yeah. that's exactly what it is well well said very well said
1: yeah so and 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 i guess there there are credit rating agencies for these different markets and currencies there are yeah yeah are they good i mean because i remember the, the, watching the, <laughs> i remember watching the big short and how the credit uh oh, everyone failed. does the credit agencies yeah. failed. so that was my life right
0: yeah. that was my life i i traded credit default swaps i know michael burry's pain Sometimes if you're on the wrong side of a trade, you know you're right, but the market's just not going in your direction. So yes, let's start with credit rating agencies. A Credit rating agencies start by rating, generally rating a credit of a country. And then they that credit ceiling will not allow any corporation within that country to have a higher credit rating than the credit rating of the country. So here's an interesting statistic. Canada actually still maintains a AAA credit rating uh-huh. by S&P, The United States is only double A plus, meaning it's one notch below Canada. This is really funny because in the credit default swap market, the U.S. pays 10 basis points for five-year protection and Canada pays 37, three and a half, four times higher, even though... The credit rating says it's a better credit. The bond market or the credit default swap market is saying it's a far worse credit. So who's right? Yeah, I always say markets are truth. The rating agencies have gotten it wrong so often. Okay.
1: Okay. So what's going on here? Like in the broad market, because we are seeing, we have seen yields drop. As you said, the interest rates drop from fourteen percent down to well, at some points negative rates.
0: um, no, negative real yeah. rates, not negative nominal rates. In, in some, some countries, yeah, there were negative nominal rates, but come on, how is that possible? Let's think about the silliness yeah. of that. You're lending money to somebody, and you, then you get less money back. Uh, anyway, it's it was a it was manufactured, manipulated. You can call it whatever you want, but uh, no, in a free in a free market like the United States or freer market, it went from fourteen percent down to under one percent. And then, over the last year, it's gone from under one percent to one and a half percent in the ten
1: year. yeah okay, we should probably explain that thing though go into that because we covered that in uh, take one, so I was explaining how <laughs> when the uh when the yield rate uh jumps I, I my assumption was that's you know why is that seen as a disaster because you know why was everyone panicking because you get a better rate of return, but it's because it reprices all the other bonds being traded
0: it's Exactly. It's an opportunity cost. Uh, here's an example. So one year ago, they issued a, tr- a 30-year tr- a Treasury bond, United States Treasury bond. It had a 1.25% coupon on it. And today, the similar 30-year, so the last 30 years now 29 years, old, 29 years remaining, it's one year into its 30-year. Uh, it has 29 years remaining to maturity. That bond, which was issued at 100 cents on the dollar, is now trading at under 75 cents on the dollar. Because why would someone buy that bond with a 1.25% coupon when they could get the same obligation one year longer from the US Treasury right now at 2.25%? The bond market needs to adjust. It adjusts when yields go higher, bond prices go lower, and there is your adjustment.
1: Okay. So, when that trade's at 75 cents on the dollar, who's lost money there?
0: Or does it? Does, does the these- person that bought it, it's an opportunity cost. The person that bought it at 100 cents on the dollar, if they don't have to mark their, their portfolio to market, which a lot of banks don't and a lot of pension funds don't, it's an opportunity cost. But if you're a trader who lives and dies by mark to market, you're down 25 points or 25% on a long bond. It'll take you 18 years of coupons yeah. to make that back. But did, that's but- a horrible investment.
1: But can they get hit hit overnight with those kind of drops in rates? Or did,
0: no, hundred basis it, points is a huge move. I was it's was you it? know, it, it, they they change in five basis points increments. You know, it'll. But yeah, it, it's it's on a trend. It's like everything; it's yeah. trending higher, and so I expect this to continue exactly.
1: So essentially, right now there is less confidence in the U.S. dollar.
0: Okay, so let's take that for. Uh, That is not, I can't draw that conclusion. I can always say that confidence in the U.S. dollar is very important. Higher interest rates lead to demand for U.S. dollars, because if you can get an interest rate uh, in the the United States of one and a half percent, but if you're in Japan and your 10-year JGB rate is, I don't even know what it is, it's like 60 basis points right now. Hey, maybe you take Japan and you, you switch into U.S. Tri- dollars and therefore you get 1.5% in U.S. dollars. That could lead for demand for the U.S. dollar.
1: But if int- if inflation rates go higher, then that's... So you've got, you to, go, you've got to. It's a combination of yeah, yeah. inflation.
0: Yes, you've got to be drugs, compensated yeah. for inflation yeah. as well as credit. Correct.
1: And as we said previously, inflation is depends how you calculate it. There's different ways to calculate it. But I know, like right now, like what it, the, the the real rate of inflation which the government's talking about feels very different from what I'm seeing and experiencing myself.
0: And I think Michael Saylor is very smart when he says it's probably closer to 15%, which is the growth of the money supply, versus the 2%. It's the, the reported metric that the, uh, the government uh, is, is uh, they're pitching. Let's call it a pitch. Yeah, I, I don't believe for a moment that true inflation is net anywhere near the CPI. But,
1: but the bond market traders must be aware of this. Sort of. Hey, yeah. look, there's
0: foolish people in all markets right there's people that believe the they drink the kool-aid oh yeah it's only two percent two percent well how come your house has gone up at ten percent in value there
1: yeah well it's because you know (laughs) i mean i was looking at a house here and uh about a year ago and it's it's up at least ten percent i do also realize my house has gone up around ten percent but the problem is the house i want to buy is bigger
0: (laughs) here's a neat thing it's well actually here's a neat thing as warren buffett would say like uh And and Warren, let's be careful. I don't want to paraphrase him too much in terms of what what he means by stuff. But if you are living in a house that um, you want to own a bigger house, you're actually not happy that your own house is going up in value. You want it to go down in value because the bigger house that you're going to buy is actually going down in value as well. Warren Buffett says the same thing. If you're a long term investor in the stock markets, you're actually you should be happy that stock prices go down. So you can buy it cheaper. Well, look, is house prices really going up? And I'm, I'm gonna stop talking about Warren. I'm gonna say, let's talk about what is really happening in housing markets. Is your house price really going up or is it the unit of account, which is the fiat currency, just going down in value? And I think it's more of the, you know, it's more of the fact that the fiat currency is going down in value mm. than it's actually your house is increasing in value.
1: You say that, I think it's a bit of both. Okay. Yeah, I think it's a bit of both because otherwise everything else would go up at the same rate. But the, it feels to me like the rate the the house prices go up at a higher rate than say fuel. Um, hey, you know what?
0: People need to live somewhere. If yeah. they have uh, preferences, yeah, hundred percent. I think that, that that could be the case. And and yeah. we could be splitting the the atom here a little too finely. Yeah, there's no question that hard assets should increase in value more than soft assets, and real estate is much closer to a hard asset than and a lot of your other exposure.
1: Okay, so how, how's this going to play out? Because if, if the interest rates have been dropping for 14% over the last 40-odd years to where we are now, we're getting close to you know, a real rate of 0%, there or thereabouts. We've got a risk of inflation. Um, we've got debt-to-GDP ratio is quite high. I've discussed before, like Lynn Alden's event horizon of the 135% set to GDP ratio where it becomes almost impossible to pay it off. You say it's mathematically impossible to pay it off?
0: It is actually mathematically
1: impossible. That's correct. Okay. Is it mathematically impossible to reduce it?
0: um okay no but imagine the pain that that would so how do you reduce a deficit right mm-hmm. you raise taxes um we could argue that uh, are we already at the uh, at the point of uh, diminishing returns if you raise taxes right now is there a chance that more of the economy goes underground or on the black market and therefore the tax base actually decreases i think that's a uh, pretty likely uh, certainly for some of the tax base The other side of it is this, um, so let's talk Lynn, and she's such a smart young lady, um, but I'm gonna disagree, not disagree, her number is correct. If you're just looking at global, uh, or sorry, government debt, you actually need to look at global debt, um, which includes corporations, states, province, municipality. Total global debt to total global GDP is actually four times. And since interest expense is tax deductible, and you can't tax you you, you know your tax base actually is reducing the more people that issue debt because the interest rate uh the interest expense gets tax deductible it would mean at four times total debt to gdp your coupon in the numerator total debt the coupon on that let's say is three percent just for a number if it's four times what the gdp or global gdp is This four times three is 12%. That means global GDP has to grow at 12% just to stay neutral. But who's staying neutral? Everyone's just printing, you know, issuing more debt. Our, Our deficits are spiraling out of control. So we are in a debt spiral, which means that the currency is guaranteed to debase. It's only mathematics. Do not overthink this. And the currency is what I call the error term. The currency satisfies the equation that allows you to continue to grow your numerator, which is your total debt. You can grow it when the economy or the tax base is not keeping pace. As long as you print more of this stuff, that allows you to close that equation. It's the error
1: term. Okay, so there's three options. You can raise taxes, you can cut spending, or you can print more money. Or a combination of the three.
0: So, yeah, but what's the easy one? Well, so, as a politician, what's the easy one?
1: Yeah, I, as I said, I was talking to my son about this. I was trying to explain to him, you know, he was saying, why are you putting so much money in Bitcoin? I was like, because they keep borrowing. Well, they keep issuing more debt. Yes. And uh, uh, the debt to GDP ratio is going up. Inflation is uh-huh. happening. So I want to hold a hard asset um and i said they're not going to pay it off and he said well why won't they i said well the the pol- political cycle there's no incentive to do it you can kick the can down the road for 4 years and try and keep your job i mean imagine going into elec- an election where the government turns around and says listen we've got this uh, 2.2 trillion dollar debt uh, debt we need to cut public services uh, and we need to increase taxes you gonna a- you're going to be a- you're going to be you're going to it's you not voted the next
0: I mean, not yeah. yet. You, you're you're, you're limiting yourself to one term. It's, uh, so yeah. what happened in 2007, 2008 was basically all the uh, risk, the financial leverage that was on the balance sheets of uh, banks and the global financial system was transferred to government because too big to fail was reality. They let one of them fail. It was called Lehman Brothers.
1: Lehman Brothers and yeah. my
0: God, it was very close to being I went to work those days wondering if it was actually over. Okay, like I honestly was wondering if the financial system was totally unraveling. It was really scary, it was real, but the governments, they they let Lehman fail and then they realized the contagion or the, uh, the counterparty risk was just so high, they had to step in and rescue everybody else. AIG, the world's largest yeah. financial or, or, or insurer, it, it was playing in the credit default swap markets. If it had failed, Goldman Sachs was done. It was baked. Okay. Wow. So, was there a reason that they rescued AIG? Oh, I don't know. Maybe they didn't want Goldman to go down.
1: Yeah. They say, they say Fannie Mae and Fannie. Is it Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac? Freddie, Freddie May, Mac, Fannie correct. May? Yeah. But those, yeah, those yeah. things
0: are government uh, government sponsored agencies or whatever they're called, GSOs. It doesn't matter. Uh, they, yeah. Those things are different. Um, those are a function of the system. Right, okay. Uh, Goldman is not a function of the system. Goldman is a brilliant investment bank that got a little far over its shoes because it purchased counterparty risk from AIG. It was hedging itself with AIG, a supposed AAA credit. But if AIG is gone, Goldman is all of a sudden exposed to all of the insurance that they had bought from AIG not being paid out. So Goldman would have been gone.
1: Yeah, so I've been listening to this Audible version of "When Money Dies": What Happened in Germany After the First World War. Yes. Every morning, going for a walk, I do about an hour and a half. I'm, I've got about two hours left of it to go. It's it's crazy listening to it, um, but I, it was kind of one of those things when I first started listening to it. I was still like, yeah, but it was after World War One. Mm-hmm. You know, very different world then. People didn't really really understand the economics so much. You know, they're under a lot of pressure for the money they owe for reparations for the war. It was a very complicated different situation. I was like, well, yeah, and I understand we get hyperinflation in Venezuela and Zimbabwe because you might have some kind of despot dictator. Mm -hmm. But I was like, surely this doesn't happen in the US or the UK or Europe. Surely we don't see a hyperinflationary event. And then at the same time, I'm seeing 20% of the money supply has been printed in the last year. Another $1.9 trillion recently. Um, It's not fixing the problems. Uh, if anything, it feels like it's accelerating them. So it starts to feel like it could well, yeah, happen. It,
0: you know what it's doing is it's it's delaying the problems. There's no question about that. People feel good about uh, having money in their pocket that's perhaps they didn't earn. It was granted to them. Um, I understand the compassion of of, mm-hmm. of that. But the reality is there's a cost and benefit to yeah. everything, right? You you can't just print money. Uh, like these modern monetary theorists think, these guys failed mathematics, okay? These guys have not taken math. They've never traded credit in their lives. They don't realize that credit is a function of of, uh, confidence. And when that confidence is gone, it's over. You cannot regain that confidence. And just because you think, in theory, I can continue to print all the money I want, in practice, that does not work. Look at Venezuela. There's 188 fiat currencies in the world. Almost all of them are guaranteed to fail before the U.S. dollar fails. And Canada is in that group. The Canadian uh, currency, the loonie, will fail before the U.S. dollar fails. Well, but as Voltaire said...
1: Particularly the Canadian uh, dollar. And also... Uh,
0: well, we're in bad case. I think I laid that out to you. Uh, I can't remember if this was in take one or <laughs> yeah, take I can't two. Now. <laughs> Canada, can Canada is rated AAA by... S&P. We yeah, did think, this, yeah, we that did in this take. take. Yeah, yeah, we that. did that in this take. That's right. But here's the funny thing. The market is rating it as a single A, is charging it single A default insurance rates, which means Canada is nowhere near a triple A. And as soon as that cycle of lack of confidence continues, the international lender says, hey, I don't need you, Canada. I'll take my credit risk elsewhere. And Canada cannot sustain itself just by domestic funds. It needs international lenders. Okay, are I, I, we this is not a drill, people. This is real.
1: So I get what's going on here, right? So eventually, every currency will fail. It's mathematically. Uh, uh, They are all debasing, that is a certainty. Some of them
0: are decaying at quicker rates than others. Mm -hmm. That is also a market function. But anyone who trades fiat against fiat is just like trading a marshmallow against a chocolate bar. Like it doesn't, they're all gonna get eaten, okay? You just cannot, with unlimited supply, they're all printing more, because that's the global solution and we're listening to people that don't understand math, like modern monetary theorists.
1: Stephanie Kelton, big, big shout out. Well, listen,
0: I'm not a fan of hers, okay? She yeah. has never traded credit in her life. She does not understand how bond markets work. She assumes she understands, and she gets a podium, but I'm afraid she's wrong. And it's dangerous how wrong she is. Mm. But still, people listen to her because those people like to think that it's all cherry blossoms and uh, blue sky.
1: This is why you have the credit to full swap market. Because One
0: hundred percent, Peter. The default swap market is truth. In two thousand and six, yeah. you could buy default protection on Lehman Brothers for nine basis points. Damn. That meant it cost you nine thousand dollars a year to insure ten million dollars of debt. Three years later, that insurance was worth six million bucks a year. Jeez. <laughs> yes, man. That's what happens.
1: So they're really pr- pricing the the long term risk of failure. Because a lower basis point is the expectation that um, it's a low risk of failure. But if I'm expecting these rates on the uh, credit default swap to go up over time.
0: They thought that Lehman Brothers was too big to fail. They thought the U.S. Treasury would bail them out. It wasn't too big to fail. But then then the Treasury realized, "Uh oh, I guess it was. The Fed, I should say. "Uh Oh, I guess it was. Because the contagion flowed to Bear Stearns. And imagine if you had purchased default insurance on Lehman Brothers from Goldman Sachs. And then all of a sudden you're worried that a Goldman Sachs is gonna default. You have to run out and buy the, uh, protection on Goldman Sachs to protect your first insurance policy. And it yeah, becomes yeah. circular. And everyone's running and jumping over everyone else to to cross uh, collateralize.
1: That's the systemic risk, right? That they feel.
0: 100%, man, yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's yeah. all contagion. It starts in the plumbing. You have to look at when the stresses are building in the plumbing. You have to understand that people need to be rewarded for risks that they're taking. It's not a free pass.
1: Okay, so it sounds like to me, this, inf- okay, so inflation is inevitable because we have inflation. Yeah, that's inevitable. The rates of inflation are looking, well, it's looking like the rates of inflation are going to go higher. Um, we're seeing real risk of that in the UK or seeing real evidence of that, and we're seeing that in yeah, in, in, in the US as well and other markets. Um, so there is a real risk that these bondholders, even though they get paid back their nominal amounts, are actually going to be losing power. Of yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Now so, that's
0: inflation risk. And we have yeah. to consider that every rate is a combination of inflation expectations and default expectations. Now, historically, And rightly so, people have assumed that the default risk on the U.S. Treasury is close to zero, but it's not. If it was zero, there'd be no credit default swap market that was paying 10 basis points for that protection. That protection, much like Lehman Brothers, when it started at nine basis points, then it went to 100 basis points, then it went to 200 basis points, then it went to default. Like It goes quickly because people realize that it's the spiral.
1: Okay, but the, the the end game for this is for, for each individual currency is at some point a collapse. Um,
0: I believe so because fiat's are fiat's, and that's yeah, yeah. It, but there's 188 of them, so it's not going to happen all, to all of them at once. But I think we're going in the direction that I, I know you want this
1: podcast to yeah. do, so Yes. Well, no, because I'm trying to understand what an actual collapse is. Yeah, you know, we saw the collapse in um, the currency of Lebanon last year, but it's still yes people are still using it. Does like a currency actually die? Do they actually guess, die and they
0: rebirth? You know, how does that happen? Yeah, maybe. Hard to say. I mean, you know, as a North American, uh, we had you know the North American Native Indians traded wampum, and to the extent that wampum still is functions as a currency, not certain, but um, you know, here's what I I I want to come back to to, to first principles. Okay, fiat currency is. It, it, it facilitates trade, right? It, it, mm-hmm. You don't have to trade three chickens for a cow. You, you actually, yeah, yeah. you know, do do a... But, but what happens when the government or the the Fed or the central bankers uh, abuse the trust that people have pay, placed in that fiat? Well, some, some countries uh, fail before others. And this brings me back to my history. Um, when I started in finance in 1988, one of my first projects was working on the Brady plan for the Royal Bank of Canada, I'd gone to school in the US, came back to Canada, worked for Canada's largest financial institution. And in 1988, the global financial system was wrestling, lo and behold, with a default of a lot of Latin American and lesser developed countries. Okay? Mm-hmm. Brazil and um, Mexico were two of the biggest. Yes, they borrowed money in US dollars in a five year term from most of the global banks in the world. And because of currency fluctuations, could not repay their debt. Their debt started trading in the secondary market. Those loans traded from a value of 100 cents on the dollar down to 25 cents on the dollar. And Treasury Secretary Nicholas Brady needed to come up for a solution that banks did not have to write these loans off, because if they did, they would have exhausted their book value of equity. Okay, Royal Bank of Canada was insolvent. When I started working for the Royal Bank in 1988, Canada's largest institution, financial institution, hey, Canada, Royal Bank wasn't alone. So were, so was Citibank, Manufacturers Hanover, J.P. Morgan, Royal Bank of Scotland, everybody was in the same boat, hence Treasury Secretary Nicholas Brady needed to solve this. He came up with the Brady plan. 25 cents on the dollar the debt was actually quite a good purchase but do you think any of these banks were adding to their exposure oh no no no! thank you very much i made my bed at 100 cents on the dollar i'm not buying anymore at 25 cents on the dollar Lo and behold well the bonds did actually or the debt the restructured debt went from 25 cents on the dollar back to through par it actually traded higher than par it would have been a monumental investment but at the time the bonds they originally or the debt they originally lent at 100 cents on the dollar it defaulted. Countries default all the time. And that was the beginning of my quest for a how is it possible that the banking system maintains the confidence of the public when it can be insolvent on a regular basis? And the answer is because it's backed by the government. And yeah. how does the government back it? By the ability to print more money.
1: And I guess the confidence is jurisdiction specific, because I know in Argentina, there is no confidence.
0: So there you go. Yeah, but there's 188 countries, right? And, And as protected as we are in G20 countries or G7 in the case of yourselves and ourselves in Canada, but Canada is in a bad place relative to the rest of the G7 world. But then there's people in Lebanon that would say, my God, you have no idea how lucky you are relative to what Lebanon is. And yeah, that's all true.
1: Right. So I guess it's so it the point where, where um, a, a government defaults on its debt, then that's the trigger point for a collapse.
0: So there's 188 of them, and yeah. a lot of them will default before the U.S. does. But as soon as it starts, really the domino effect starts taking place. It could happen quickly because it's global confidence. If you're a global yeah. lender and you're just losing money in Argentina and then you're losing money in country XYZ, you're like, hey, I'm going to take my money out of Canada before I lose my money in Canada as well. You know, like, I mean, yeah. it just becomes it, it, it becomes a bit of a steamroller. And and if you're losing your shirt over here, you're far less, less uh, you know, pumped up to go and lend money to another country you're going to lose your shirt yeah. in.
1: Which is why. You have to start thinking about where the hell can I keep my money because okay. if it's money, it doesn't matter. Thank it's got to be in some much. currency. It's like, well, they're all fiat, or currencies. it doesn't. It doesn't have
0: to be in a currency, right? It has well, no, to be a store saying, of value.
1: I'm saying it, it is in currency. It's like, where can I put my currencies? Because if I don't want to hold in the currency, where do I put it? Because I mean, if yep. they're all fiat currencies they are all going to fail, it's like, well, I need to put it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, I have, you know, property, gold. There you Bitcoin, go. Bitcoin.
0: Yep. Yep. Fine art. Front row at the Lakers. All these things, hard assets, you know, um, and 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 a lot of these. I love the Bitcoin community to begin. So, so is this okay that we start talking about Bitcoin? Yeah, sure, man. Let's do it. Okay. So, look, here's the cool thing, right? First of all, I'm 57 years old. I just discovered, (laughs) believe it or not, I've just discovered Twitter. All right, (laughs) and I must say that these guys are some of the smartest people I've ever interacted with. All right, but some of them are they have high conviction. There's nothing wrong with high conviction. But the Bitcoin Twitter community is absolutely remarkable in its ability to uh, to assess risks that most people, it, you know, they don't get it. And it's so neat that having worked in the, in the markets for 30 years, it's really, really neat to come across a community that is so tuned in as I've come across the Bitcoin Twitter community. And I'm, I'm, it's a pleasure to be a part of it. I'm a plebe. I'm a proud plebe hey, but this is something I've been looking for for 30 years. I've been looking for this solution for 30 years.
1: Right. So how long ago did you discover Bitcoin?
0: Great question. So to be honest, right, so I'm lucky enough, I I got introduced because I was a founding shareholder in a company called 3IQ, which um, was the first exchange traded, not ETF, and it's an exchange listed closed-end Bitcoin fund on a regulated exchange in the world. There was right. Grayscale in the U.S., but that traded on the pink sheets. We got Bitcoin listed in Canada on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Nice. I was a founding shareholder, and it was actually the, the gentleman who, who, whose idea it was for this uh, fund that introduced me to Bitcoin. I'd heard about it, but I'd never seen it, and he sold it to me with one screen. We were actually at one of my pubs in Montreal. I'm a, I'm a small business owner in Montreal. Even though I live in Toronto, I own some pubs. And we happened to be at one of my pubs in Montreal. And he goes, look at this thing called trade block." And I'm an engineer. And I see this thing in action. And I'm like, I'd heard of Bitcoin. But what is this thing of beauty? This is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen from an engineering perspective. And it was, you know, and I said, this is the solution I've been looking for. For 30 years at that time 25 years you know this was in 2016 i said i'm in i want this product to be able to be offered for all canadians to be able to get exposure to the anti-fiat okay i call bitcoin the anti-fiat and that's what it is and we were successful do, do you see we got Bit- it I, I had fun
1: i mean I, obviously it couldn't be both but there is bitcoin as a solution at an individual level, like myself, fearing holding money in the bank, fearing holding uh-huh. money in my company balance sheet. Um, yeah, I said to you before, my business is priced, like my uh, contracts are priced in dollars. Uh, uh-huh. The 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 pound has fallen against the dollar from a peak last year of about 17%. Uh, I still pay a lot of my bills in, in pounds, blah, blah, blah. Um, so there is real risk um, for me in holding any fiat currency, so, I, I have been putting money into Bitcoins, but that's an individual solution for me. But it's also a potential solution for, like, it's an aggregate solution that forces potentially, maybe even starting a smaller state to begin with, but uh, 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 for, for forces people to adopt a kind of Bitcoin standard. And I don't yes. mean that in a hyperbolic way, but it moves uh-huh. us to a more honest and better financial system. Do you, you look at it on, on both levels? Have you got a priority on one or the other? You know,
0: so yes, my priority is uh, is to stop the um, the lunacy in, in continuing to print fiat money without uh, regard to the eventual outcome. Uh, my kids deserve my full uh, passion and intellect to try and solve this. Uh, this is a disease. It's like a cancer that people think that there's no. Um, repercussions from continuing to print money. Bitcoin is, as I'm going to borrow from Ross uh, Stevens, uh, and this may have been helped along by Robert Breedlove. I'm, I talked to Robert a, a day or two ago, and he, he mentioned that he's working with Nidig right now. The most beautiful thing that Mr. Uh, Stevens, Ross Stevens wrote was he goes, money has always been a technology yep. for Trent, for, for storing the value of the work or time or energy that you expend today for consumption in the future, right? So think you're on a hot summer day. You're pounding nails into a roof, putting on asphalt shingles. You earn maybe 20 bucks for four hours of work, five bucks an hour. And you want to consume that. That's a heck of a lot of tough time and energy that you've expended. And 20 years later, you want to consume that $20 that you've uh, worked so hard in the hot summer sun, and it turns out to be worth seven bucks, right? It's gone from being worth 20 bucks to seven bucks. Who, who's the fool? And you 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 basically helped improve the value of that house. Your hard work improved the value of that house, but your energy was debased because the fiat currency was debased. Bitcoin solves that. Bitcoin is digital energy. That preserves its value for use and consumption in the future. Now, yeah, does it sound like Breedlove was involved in that little prose a little bit? I'd sounds say 100%. a little bit. <laughs> it sounds like a Breedlove tweet. I, 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 it does. But I actually wrote a letter because I'm covered by uh, Nideg out of uh, Santa Barbara, somewhere in L.A. Anyway, or not, I don't somewhere in California. I know it's near L.A. And my guy used to be a Goldman Sachs trader. And I said, you need to tell Robert Stevens that's the most beautiful shareholder letter I've ever read. And he actually did. And uh, I think NYDIG is doing some amazing stuff. And I hope that your listeners, if you, I hope you're aware. Did you see NYDIG raised money yesterday and who they raised the money from? In their 200 funding 200 million? Round? They did. Yeah. But more importantly was who the investors were. Uh, tell me. We'll start with Mass Mutual, okay. New York Life. Morgan Stanley, Soros, George Soros, Mm -hmm. so all of the big, important money players in the world, I I should say all of them, some of the world's most important institutional investors see the vision where Nidig wants to build a platform to distribute insurance products based on Bitcoin, money management, asset management. Read the Marty Bent uh, email from last night. It it lays it out really, really nicely. Listen, this is the most important component of converting digital energy, which comes from natural energy in the ground, goes to digital energy when Bitcoin is mined. And then it's distributed amongst the financial system of the world because of platforms like NYDIG and supported by investors like Morgan Stanley and, and the like that I just mentioned. Hey, it's happening, you guys. This is a reality, you know, don't overthink this. Bitcoin is the most beautiful store of energy ever created by man. And you need to be a part of it.
1: Next up, I'll talk to Greg more about treasury yields, inflation and Bitcoin. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. Okay, we're going to kick off with BlockFi. Now, for quite a while, I've been telling you about the announcement they made before Christmas It's coming soon. It is inevitable. The BlockFi Rewards Visa credit card. It's so soon. I can't wait to get it. I can't wait to start stacking sats with this. With every purchase, you can earn a market-leading 1.5% rewards rate in Bitcoin. It is going to be such an important tool for stacking sats. And they've just announced that they've opened up the public waitlist. Now, anyone regardless of whether they have a BlockFi account, is eligible to join. So if you want to find out more, head over to BlockFi, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I dot com. Also, my newest sponsor, Ledger, they've been with us in about six weeks now. It's great to have them on board. I was a Ledger customer back in 2017 when I first got into Bitcoin. The first hardware wallet I got was a Nano S, and I still use that same device today. Now, the reason I love the Nano S, not just because of the device. I mean, the device itself is obviously robust and very easy to use, but I love the software, Ledger Live, which enables you to safely and easily manage your Bitcoin. And with the Nano S, if you have an Android phone, you can manage your Bitcoin on the go. Now, if you want to find out more, you can head over to ledger.com. That is is l-e-d-g-e-r.com. And lastly today, but not least, are my friends at Kraken, my favorite place for buying and selling Bitcoin and it's the only place I use for buying a same Bitcoin. And why? Well, Kraken is consistently rated the best and most secure crypto exchange. And I'm always telling you how important security is. But they also have the best in class in customer service. So if you have an issue, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever that issue is, if you reach out to them, they're going to help you get that fix. And if you want to start trading Bitcoin, they have all the tools you could possibly need. So, whatever your level of experience, if you sign up at kraken.com, it could not be easier to start trading Bitcoin. They also have a beautiful mobile first app so you can trade Bitcoin on the go. And with their margin trading, futures, and OTC desk, they have every option covered for you. There is no better place to trade Bitcoin. You can find out more at kraken.com or download the app. It's available for the iPhone and Android. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K R A K E M P R O. Right. So, the 21 million. Fixed cap is the most important. One of the most important. Let's not say the most, but one of the most important features of. Actually, Bitcoin. for me, it's the most important. It's, yeah, I mean, I mean, there are other things that are really important, like the the actual monetary policy, the issuance rate, the fact that it's censorship resistant. Oh fact, yeah, the, the difficulty
0: fact factor, the difficulty yeah. adjustment. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful machine.
1: Yeah, it's it is uh, uh, incredible in some ways. Uh, the fact that it's decentralized, blah blah blah. But but most mm-hmm. of that, um, but. Let's stick to the fact that twenty-one million is is obviously the important factor because when we're talking about fiat currencies, we're talking about them debasing. We're talking about the government can print whatever they want. The fact that we have something that has a, a, a ultimately a fixed supply that changes the game as you, to, for you as an individual, if you're patient enough, but also if everyone adopts this Bitcoin standard, it changes the game for everyone else.
0: Correct. You know what my end game is, uh, Peter. Is I think that energy companies will want to be paid in Bitcoin for their valuable natural resources rather than be paid in U.S. dollars, a debasing currency. So as soon as energy companies and soon as oil and natural gas globally is priced in Bitcoin, which I think is a natural evolution, I think Bitcoin will become the de facto reserve asset of the world, not currency, reserve asset. But if you ask Russia or Saudi Arabia, would you rather own Fiat US dollar treasuries or Bitcoin. I think there's some smart people over there that would think very carefully about owning Bitcoin
1: rather yeah. than owning. I think US for different dollar. reasons you need some kind of mix at the moment. Like for example, to operate my business, I need a mix of dollars, you pounds, and to. Bitcoin.
0: Okay. Yeah, that I might have, change. Uh, that yeah. you know, if the Lightning Network and everything Jack Mahler's is doing it comes to fruition. But again, yeah. I describe I differentiate between a reserve asset and a reserve currency.
1: Yeah, and it's certainly a reserve asset right now.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, not yet. Not yet. It will be, in well, my it is opinion. For me. Am I 100% certain? Okay, attaboy. Yeah. I, I'll but, just say I play the world from probabilities, and I say that every day it actually increases the likelihood with more announcements like yesterday's Acker mm-hmm. from uh, Norway, an yeah, uh, energy company that's going to be doing uh, doing what they're doing, uh, yesterday's announcement with Nydig. There's people that realize it because math doesn't lie. Okay, and the mathematics of a fiat currency in a debt spiral—not death. Some would call it a death spiral, but it is a debt spiral. Mm -hmm. Require you to store your valuable work time and energy in something that does not get debased.
1: Well, the point is, I was moving to the, the one of the flaws of the gold standard that seemed to me is that it was a centralized standard that anyone could pull out of the U.S. I mean, I think it was the U.K. pulled out first. And then I think there was the U.S. After they wanted their money back,
0: right? France didn't. France sent their uh, send their ships over to try and get the the money out of Fort Knox, and they, then, uh, they
1: did apparently. The, the,
0: the gig was up. And, but here's the neat thing. Look, sorry, sorry. Go I just ahead.
1: Look, can I just go on to that because what, what, yes, what I was going to say yes. is that it seems like that the problem with that is that it's a centralized standard run by the uh-huh. state, and the state can opt out if it chooses to. I've read about uh, one of the reasons the U.S. pulled out the gold standard is that Nixon needed money to finance Vietnam War. But the great thing about a Bitcoin standard is it's optional. Like I operate on a Bitcoin standard. Michael Saylor operates on a Bitcoin standard. Perhaps you do. And as more of us do it, the more of us can trade with each other on that standard. Now, we're not because none of us want to let go of our Bitcoin right now. So what we're doing is we're dumping our dollars or pounds and just you know holding uh, Bitcoin. And mm-hmm. I do it on a mm-hmm. basically on an eight-week basis. I hold business and personal cash flow of eight weeks, which is a month of running costs and a month of leeway. Everything else is in Bitcoin. So that's okay, my well, standard. Sorry. But but what I want to do is I want to be paid in Bitcoin because that is my standard. And I think the great thing about this is that it's it's optional. But as more people get pulled into the gravity of this Bitcoin standard, the stronger it becomes and the weaker the fiat currency becomes. And it kind of accelerates it.
0: You're 100% correct. Um, you know, we talked about the store of value. Have you, you know, people out there, if you have never transferred money internationally using Bitcoin, if you have a Bitcoin wallet, and I've done this, I've sent money to Australia. I've sent it to an indigenous group in Australia that I felt I needed to support. Um, I've never, I had never met them. I was able to get it settled within 10 minutes. It was more than $0 worth. It was less than a car, but it was substantial amount of uh, money. I don't want to overplay the fact that technology was so, so beautiful. If you've ever tried to send an international wire transfer, that is the most painful process that you can possibly go through with commercial banking. Okay. Yeah. You, you get worried about these swift codes. And, and I actually did it on Friday. Just, I don't know, you know, I've done it before, but on Friday, I was transferring some money to Florida and um, the, the address of the bank it was settling in Pittsburgh. So it was PNC bank in Pittsburgh. I didn't actually have the address of, I knew the street, the bank was on. We knew the swift code, but there was a chance that because the address was missing that this money would not settle. I'm like, Mm -hmm. are you out of your minds? Is this actually possible in the 21st century that because you're missing a street address on a bank and I couldn't get in touch with anyone. So I said, okay, send it anyway. And I knew I, I was highly confident it would settle, but I wasn't certain Come on, let's let's stop pretending, you guys. Bitcoin and the the scalability, the visibility, transferability of Bitcoin is the most beautiful thing. You were talking about gold. Come on, let's try it. Let's let me try and send gold to Australia. I can try as hard as I want. Peter Schiff, notwithstanding, it ain't as good. It's just not as good. Okay. And by the way, how much how much gold is in seawater? And what if we ever figured out how to get gold out of seawater? Do you think that the gold would only be growing at two percent per year? What? Come on, guys! It's technology.
1: I think the only thing that's maintaining gold's position right now is the fact that it's a reserve as- asset for governments. But.
0: I some thought, of them some well, of them <laughs> yeah
1: yeah yeah some of them yeah not not Canada anymore and not that, Canada
0: anymore but
1: yeah and and that's that, that thing that point you talk about I had it I mean a couple of years ago I went out to do a interview in Japan and I hired a local camera crew um and they issued their invoice we could not find a way for me to make a bank transfer to them everything I tried it failed so in the end amazing, eh? well in the end I just uh-huh. paid them in, I just I think I paid them in bitcoin or it might have been paypal to a because the guy yeah. was American, but what, what we couldn't okay. do it via the banks. I I took on a sponsor uh, two months ago. They paid me in Bitcoin, like you. It appeared it appeared within um, my wallet straight away. It settled within an hour. Job's done. Yeah. And and yeah. look, the stupid banking system thinks they have to protect us right from mistakes, and they have to protect us from fraud. Whereas people like you, me, we like we don't care. I'll take the risk. I will take the risk of making this transfer. If I make a mistake, I lose my Bitcoin. That's, my That's correct.
0: It's on you. Here's yeah. the other thing, though. You'd think they you were sending their money, not your own. What's it for? Are you sure? Are, are you? You know, is this because it's anti money laundering?
1: What's correct. it for? What company? They closed down my bank accounts in the UK. I, I was with Lloyd's Bank. I've been with them for 25. more than 25 mm-hmm. years since I was 17 years old. So What's that? 27, 37. Yeah, 25 years. I got mm-hmm. a phone call. Uh, it was about four months ago. Three months ago and they said hi we just want to run through some of your transactions with you and i was like what do you mean and i was like is there been a fraud on my account they're like no we just want to know what you're spending some of these transactions on and the first thing was they brought huh. up an they brought up an exchange they said what is this money for for cryptocurrency i said i said do i have hey, to hey. i said do i have to tell you this yes. they said they said no you don't i said well it's none of your business i said my accounts all of my accounts are in surplus i don't owe you any money mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. I'm old enough. I'm 42 years old. I've raised two children. I've run a company. I'm old enough to make my own financial decisions. It's uh-huh. none of your business. I'm just not going to tell you. If I have a problem, I'll let you know. A month later or whatever, I get a letter saying in 65 days all your accounts will be enclosed because we can no longer service you after 25 wow. years. And I'm like, you go fuck yourselves. But I think, yeah. do you know what I think the problem is here as well? I think there's multiple problems. They've become too much nanny state. Uh, but I think the other problem is, is I'm a useless customer to them because. I'm not in my overdraft. You know, I'm not taking out their services. Um, I think they want customers who are kind of broke, who are always in their overdraft, so they're making fees off them. Interesting. Okay. Because essentially, I get a free service from them. I get free banking because I don't actually, I don't have any costs. I'm not going to argue with
0: you. You know what? I'm not going to argue with you. It sounds very logical.
1: But so we don't yeah, need this anymore. Yeah. So, so I've 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 switched over to one of these online neo banks. Um okay. uh, and it suits me perfectly. I don't need a branch. I basically don't need okay. Blockbuster. I don't it was like Blockbuster. Their asset was to have all the uh, locations in every city Video, you yeah, moved videos, anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then that became their liability when uh Nextflix and Love Film competed. The banks are the same. Correct.
0: Yes, I agree. So having worked in banking, uh, uh, so I I, I got my start trading at a bank and then uh, I moved to the hedge fund side. So banks were always counterparties. Uh, You know, yeah, there you grow up, you know, all the Zoomers, um, they they have comfort in their banks because that's how they grew up. And none of the none of the kids uh, these days, uh, they they do banking on their phone. They don't actually even go to a physical branch a retail branch. So that's what's changing there. Um, and, and and then people say, well, Bitcoin has no value. There's no intrinsic value, according to Peter Schiff. And this is where I want to take an issue. And if I could, at this point, promote the research I've done. OK, please do,
1: please do.
0: I believe that Bitcoin is default insurance on a basket of sovereign credits. And using that uh, thought process or narrative, I calculated the value of Bitcoin as a function of the credit default swap markets for individual company a country multiplied by their unfunded and funded liabilities. And very simply, to make a long story short, I came up with a number of valuation for Bitcoin today. It's between $110,000 and $160,000 per coin.
1: So it's on discount. Now, this That's is my based
0: market. on... That's right. Well, it's always, and that's just value today. Now, imagine if these credit default swap spreads start going where I think they're going to go, Peter. It's on discount today relative to CDS or credit default swap spreads today. But as those swap spreads start to adjust to the reality that countries are going to default and start doing it on a more frequent basis, the intrinsic value of Bitcoin will go skyrocketing alongside. I think so, I know right what you're now, saying. You
1: can, Sorry, can I just. Can I play replay sure, your thesis sure. at at you? Is that yes, sir? If Bitcoin is an insurance, mm-hmm. as the spreads increase, these investors, these money managers, whatever you call them, these bond guys, they're going to need more insurance, and Bitcoin is a better form of insurance.
0: My job here is done. <laughs> Thank you very much, Peter McCormick. That is exactly it.
1: Right. Okay, is this happening? Like, it's your thesis, but are people, you know, you obviously would, but do you know of any bond guys who are using Bitcoin as insurance?
0: I do, in fact. Yes, I do.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: They have to. They're exposed to the risks of fiat and sovereign default. They own the obligations, the contractual obligations of these countries. Right. They are, it is their job to seek out hedges to these potential risks magnifying. And yes, I do absolutely know. And a lot of them take the jump and say, well, maybe I'll just own Bitcoin. I don't even need these other things. Now, some of them r- work in insurance companies. And I promise you every single money manager in the world worth their salt is doing this analysis. Fidelity is top uh, top shelf. Mm. NYDIG, excuse me, best of breed, you know, I'm involved in a company in Canada right now, so I'm out of 3iq, I sold my shares to a very astute, uh, I shouldn't say, yes, I'm going to give them kudos, um, a certain company that's going public within a couple of days in the in the UK, um, going to be listed. I sold my shares in 3iq and I moved on to an, an energy company. I want Canadian energy companies to embrace Bitcoin like uh, the Norwegian company did yesterday. Um, I also want Canadian investment banks to embrace Bitcoin because I think it's the transfer of natural resource energy into digital energy, into the purest form of monetary energy ever created, and products that are based off of those that uh, make the Bitcoin standard that much easier for people to embrace, okay? Whether it's insurance, whether it's... uh, uh, a platform like, um, you know, a Bitcoin wallet and anything like this. But there are only 21 million of them. So you better get your piece of it because it's going way, way higher.
1: So let me just go back on this insurance thing because I think this is obviously a great idea. Mm-hmm. If, so if spreads close, would you see that as a reason for the Bitcoin, the value of Bitcoin to maybe drop some?
0: you see the money yes potentially but they're not going to close what well, okay? no, exactly. I mean, it's a one-way train it's it's, yeah. it's just mathematics so anyone who's buying uh, who's selling default so every every transaction you need a buyer and seller of default protection anyone who's selling default protection on the United States right now is chances are they're using leverage and that's the dangerous part so they're picking 10 basis points they think oh it's free money I'm, I'm levering it maybe they're leaving it 10 times. Okay, so they're getting a full percent for free. And then all of a sudden it widens and they get a tap on their by their boss. Why are you selling so much? Reduce your reduce your position. And they, as a seller of protection, all of a sudden become a buyer. And that's what happens. The sellers evaporate because the leverage they were using is gone.
1: So the interesting thing here is fiat currencies are are. Uh, you know, are set up to fail, uh, as we've talked about in this, because of the way the government's print money. But it's they're in a, a death spiral, a debt spiral, yes. which kind yes. of puts Bitcoin in a. I mean, what would you call the the increase, like a, a, a yield, an upward yield spiral? I don't know. How would what's because if if it if it's if it's like a it's not like like magnetic forces, right?
0: Yes, conservation of energy, conservation yeah. of so the same thing in finance, like. Uh, yes, if the intrinsic value of it will increase um, if you buy that uh, that valuation methodology, we, we we don't even have to go there. We can go as a function of total global assets, right? Why don't we start with that and just say, if Bitcoin does become the global reserve asset, then it should occupy a percentage of everybody's portfolio. And I like to start it as the total global financial assets as I see them, including real estate, is $900 trillion, US. $900 trillion, is it unreasonable to think that if Bitcoin becomes the global reserve asset, that it could get 5% of global <laughs> financial assets? I, I think, think 5% is very reasonable. 5% of $900 trillion is $45 trillion. Forty five trillion divide by twenty-one million. Hey, we're talking some big bananas there, right? Mm-hmm. No, no, no disrespect, Mark Cuban, but yeah, those are real bananas. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, Excuse the, me. but it doesn't and, work like that. It doesn't work like that that you divide the forty five trillion by twenty-one million, because what actually happens is forty-five trillion tries to go into that, there is the premium as the price shoots up.
0: Oh well, no, I know. You're yeah. totally right, yeah. but You know, you got to start with something. You got to start with valuation metrics. Um, Michael Saylor thinks it goes to 100 trillion. So 100 trillion divided by 21 million. So you're talking 5 million. My point being this, guys, we're at a rounding error right now. I don't even know what Bitcoin is. And I try today, I try not to look at it on a daily basis, although I do trade instruments on the stock exchanges that. uh, that, uh, that are impacted. So I should know where it's trading when markets are open. But let's say it's 52,000, which it was this morning, something, or was it 54, 52? It doesn't matter. 54, um,
1: 5. We're back over okay, a trillion brother, dollar market cap. It is such
0: care. a rounding error. It is such a rounding error compared to where it could go. And incidentally, I got involved in Bitcoin when it was under a thousand bucks. Bitcoin is actually less risky and a better trade right now. Of course. Today than when I got involved in it, when it was $1,000, okay? So why is that the case? Well, the network's stronger, the adoption, the use cases is, is playing out. You guys got you got guys like Michael Saylor, who's honestly probably the, you know, I, I love rocket scientists because I'm actually, I took turbo machinery <laughs> in engineering. I sort of understand what these guys think. Listen, he's got it, man. He, he gets it, break it down to first laws of thermodynamics, do all that. It's inevitable that if you own zero Bitcoin right now, you're taking extreme amounts of risk compared to if you have an, a portfolio allocation. That's what people don't get. Listen risk management is about hedging the upside and the downside.
1: Listen to that point. Anyone listening to that point needs to really kind of take that in. That's a quotable, that's a quotable thing you've just said there. If you but you need to. I've managed risk.
0: Yep. I, I've managed risk my whole life, and that's what you have to do: is play probabilities and play expected values. I sort of like Peter Schiff, uh, maybe not. But here's the thing: <laughs> he he just he he is just absolutely digging himself a deeper hole. And as a trader, if you ever did that, you blow up and you're done. You're gone. They cart you out. You're on a gurney. You're off the floor, and you never return. But Peter Schiff is just replaying this whole thing. I think it's theater. I would love to debate him. I know he wanted to debate debate a uh, uh, sailor and then called Michael a, a chicken for not taking Let's his challenge. Up,
1: dude. I know he listens to this I, show well, regularly. <laughs> I don't
0: think he does. Uh, here he is. Okay. I sent, hey, Peter, I did send your son Bitcoin for his birthday. Yes, I was one of the people because he actually gets it. Spencer Schiff gets it. He understands math. I think you understand math as well, Peter Schiff, but you're just playing theater, you know, you got to stop playing this theater, sir, because you are costing so many people their livelihoods and the livelihoods of their kids. And I'm not, I'm actually taking offense to this now. You are doing a disservice to risk managers everywhere. You may be right, but from a risk management perspective, you are so wrong. It's embarrassing for you. It's embarrassing for my kids. And Spencer Schiff, thank you for calling
1: out your father. <laughs> Look, I'm going to try and set that up, but but it's an interesting point because, you know, I'm not a gold hater like some people are. I'm not one of those people who just says, oh, gold is dead. But the reality is when you think about the function that Bitcoin is playing as insurance under your term, it's the same function gold could perform, but except oh. you have this ability to hold the assets, you can reduce your counterparty risk, um, and you've got... Um, so. So it just is a better... Can, can we stop there?
0: Stop yeah. there. It's 100% you are reducing your counterparty risk. Yeah. Not you can reduce your pa- counterparty
1: risk. Well, it depends you're who you are. 100%. It depends because some people will custody. Some people will use a custody solution. Right, but but...
0: So let's just say that the world finds out you're holding all this gold at your house.
1: Yeah, true, true, true.
0: Okay, yeah. hey, are you really, really that happy that you have to hold it in a safe and you can't transfer it? You cannot... Uh, divided, you know all the things that that Bitcoin offers that gold doesn't. Look, don't overthink this. Gold supply was a very valuable material for thousands of years as a store of value. Okay. Yeah. But there just happened to be a better horse in the race right now. Borrowing yeah, Paul Tudor Jones, there's a better horse in the race.
1: So let let me let me work through one of the hurdles that people have. I had my friend Louise who messaged me earlier. Uh, I went to see her on the weekends. I haven't seen her in ages. She was like, "How's the podcast going?" I was like, "Fine." She goes, "I don't, I don't exactly. listen to." Her. I was like, "It's a Bitcoin podcast. You wouldn't." And she's messaged me early, and she's listened to it. She's like, "I'm thinking of buying some, but it's a bit expensive." I think the price of Bitcoin itself is really misleading. I think it, um, I think that unit bias scares people off. But what they're missing is the point is that it's programmed. It's mathematically designed to go up. Based on its reaction to the fiat monetary system, as you said, of being an insurance, so you have to mm-hmm. ignore the short-term volatility, and you have to buy in for long-term protection. It's long-term insurance, right?
0: It's not. Yeah, I agree with that. Now. It's,
1: it's not thirty-day insurance. Thirty-day insurance, you could lose money.
0: It is. So here, here's the thing: do you do you uh, buy fire insurance on your home, and then sell it? Because okay, but then do you sell it? No, nope. you own it forever. Bitcoin is insurance that you own forever, okay? And someday, if we move to a Bitcoin standard, then we'll be buying and selling Bitcoin. But until that happens, you need to own this insurance forever. You don't buy fire insurance from a pyromaniac, okay? You do not buy fiat currencies and buy default protection from the US government. It's 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 asinine. You need to buy Bitcoin or insurance from someone who is. Counterparty neutral, okay, or so, no counterparty risk.
1: All right, let me throw this one at you. Tell me if I'm right or wrong. So okay, is this is is the Bitcoin market actually like the bond market? And every day we're repricing the insurance.
0: Potentially, I mean, look, a market is a market. It's it's yeah. a, it's the most beautiful thing about capitalism. Markets are truth. Okay, I'm not going to tell you. So I'm a Bitcoin Maxi. I'll be very honest about that. But am I going to tell you? There's not other uses of other. Blockchain technologies out there. I have my views, but I'm certainly not going to tell you, like Peter Schiff tells you, that Bitcoin has no intrinsic value because that would be
1: dumb. Well, no, it clearly does. I mean, I've t- I tried to debate, well, I had him on my show and he just doesn't shut the fuck up when you're trying to like talk about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. also, he's intellectually dishonest because he won't actually listen to any arguments. But let's forget him for now. I'll set up that debate with him. Sure. But the point is, okay. is, is if Bitcoin is insurance, I'm not using it as a currency. Yes, I'm getting paid, but really, I'm getting paid in it because. I'm just, it's almost like I'm being paid in insurance. I'd rather have that. Okay. Okay. So I'm getting paid in insurance. And I feel Uh like, I feel, I feel like, it's almost like all these things get traded daily. You've talked about the bond markets being liquid markets. You've talked about the debt markets being traded. You've talked about the credit default swaps being traded. Bitcoin is just mm-hmm. one more component component of all this. But it's systems. a
0: trillion-dollar market. Yeah. It, it was worth a trillion bucks, okay? At 54,000 bucks, I think, is when it's worth a trillion bucks. I know it's worth a trillion. Uh, a trillion is bigger than the entire Canadian banking system, okay? Yeah. The value of Bitcoin is now larger than the entire Canadian banking system. The value of Bitcoin in a couple of hundred billion more of value will be larger than the entire US banking system. Market cap. Market cap to market cap. And by the way, those banking systems are levered 25 times. Okay? Hey, if you tell me that Bitcoin is too risky compared to the Canadian banks, I need to walk you through mathematics again.
1: So what is it? I mean, because like like I say, look, you you speak to a lot of people in these markets. You've been in this a long time. What are they missing? Mm-hmm. The, people, the people that people aren't buying into this. Bias. Industry.
0: There's a, there's a you know, status quo bias, right? Like everybody, it's psych, psych 101. And I didn't take nearly enough psych courses when I was growing up. I took too many math courses. Psychology, status quo bias, the intellectual laziness. Jamie Dimon probably really understands Bitcoin, but does he want it to succeed? Absolutely not. He knows it'll disintermediate his entire franchise.
1: Mm. <sighs> you know what every now and again i do an interview and it just makes me more bullish and now i'm like shit i need more bitcoin <laughs> greg you've done mm-hmm. it to me man you've done it to me
0: well this i say it, like i could talk for hours about this and 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 all i bring to the table is and i'm going to borrow this from my mm. uh, a friend of mine in canada called kevin Muir. have you guys ever heard of the macro tourist he goes. All I bring to the table is twenty-five years of mistakes. That's all I bring to the table is learning from my mistakes. And if you continually compound your mistakes rather than learn from them and adjust your portfolio accordingly, you won't be in business anymore. It's pure, simple risk management.
1: The best asymmetric trade ever, as you say. Repeat. That's the my. Thesis. That's my
0: opinion. Yeah. Okay, I've never seen a better trade. And boy, by the way, I've actually had some pretty good trades in my career. Um, I'm not trying to brag. I'm just telling you this is the best asymmetric return distribution that I've ever seen in my career. Does it mean I'm 100% certain? No. Anyone who's 100% certain about anything generally is on the wrong side of a trade or somewhat uh, you know, compromised.
1: Yeah. So where do you think this goes? Because because it's been a very different year for Bitcoin this year. Uh, my convictions have been a lot higher. I've invested more money than I have ever done, and I, I, I like Attaboy. my convictions pretty high. But I think my convictions. You know what I like to say? quite
0: quite, quite simply, want, talk to you in twenty years. When I get people involved in it, I say I don't want to talk. Whether it goes from forty three to sixty three to twenty three, those are all rounding errors. Let's talk in twenty
1: years. When you're seventy seven.
0: I hope to be, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, I will be if I'm still alive. I guess what I'm saying is I'm doing this as much for me as I am for my kids, yeah, right? Yeah. This is not about, this is about being part of a system of which I'm partial, partly to blame. I did not put my hand up soon enough and tell the world that the Royal Bank of Canada was insolvent, mm. okay? Imagine what, I would, you know, I would have been a pariah, right? Are you telling, start a bank run in Canada because, you know, I know how to do math? That's not my goal. Start a bank run in Canada because I know our politicians are really, really bad at math. It's not my goal. But hey, enough is enough. I'm sorry. With all due respect, Ms. Kelton, your mathematics are horrible.
1: Wow. She gets to sell books and probably gets invited to, a, there,
0: to there is an incentive there that might be. Uh, but I honestly truly believe she just doesn't understand what contagion in a financial market looks like. And nobody out there who trades equities even understands the importance of the pawn markets and the credit markets, because everything starts with credit. Our whole capitalist system is built on credit. And equity markets are just the tail of the dog. And when the dog, which is the credit markets, gets upset, that tail, like it wags like some sort of insane maniac, but they get whipped around.
1: What's happening in the equity markets right now? We haven't even touched on that.
0: So... One of the things and not looking at what it's doing today, but one of the things that the discount rate is being adjusted for growth stocks like the high tech where future cash flows are, you know, a lot of these cash flows come in the future. They're projected. They're not guaranteed. But as you change that discount rate, the value of those cash flows goes down, meaning if you change the discount rate, increase the discount rate, the value of those cash flows goes down. And hence the value of the perceived value of that equity goes down. People are saying there, there's an equation for um, what is the uh, the discount rate of a uh, uh, dividend in perpetuity, okay? And it's one over R. One over R is one over the discount rate. So if, if it's a 10, uh, if your discount rate is 10, uh, uh, 10% or 0.1, your multiple is 10. But then you have to adjust it for growth and the equation becomes one over R minus G. So R being the discount rate minus the growth rate. And that's when you can get these huge multiples, OK? Because if the growth rate is over 10%, you're essentially almost dividing R. Your, your, your multiple becomes one divided by something very close to zero. And then you get huge multiples of a cash flow. Well, all of a sudden, if that R starts increasing and that G starts decreasing, wow, your multiple goes down really quickly. Is this why we've seen? Is that what's happening?
1: The, what's happening in the NASDAQ? It could be.
0: Honestly, sir, I everyone has an opinion. I think that's a component. I also think the rotation. There's a fixed amount of money in the equity markets, and or not fixed, but generally it's fixed. And there's a rotation taking place in front, from the growth stocks. the the NASDAQ into the old economy stuff. Like, you know, I'm pretty bullish on energy here. One of the reasons I'm bullish on energy is because ESG has required most funds not to be able to invest in energy. Like, I mean, so I'm going to bring something up there. So I'm involved in an energy company in Canada. It is going to use flare gas to mine Bitcoin. Okay. Okay, We're going to green the environment or cleanse the environment by mining Bitcoin. And that's going to open ESG spigots to allow... Energy companies to wrap themselves in the hey, I'm helping the uh, I'm I'm consuming waste energy, I'm not wasting energy, and, and this is huge. And these things are going to happen, and it's all part and parcel of the growth of uh, this new um, ecosystem built on a beautiful product called Bitcoin.
1: Beautiful thing called Bitcoin, man. I think that's a good ending point. I think we did well. Uh, I take two on that first half now. I feel like the first time. I, I, I could talk
0: to you for hours and I encourage people if they have questions, I, I did write a paper on it only because yeah. I know it's such a complex subject. The paper's not perfect, but at least it gets out there and actually puts real value on Bitcoin that no one else, to my knowledge, has brought to the table. Yeah. Am I 100% certain I'm right? No, I'm never 100% certain I'm right. Am I highly confident I'm right? Yes, I am. But other people, please poke holes in it. I want it. I want I'll take all challengers. I'm I'm okay with it. I'm okay with being wrong if you prove that I'm wrong. But so far, I think I have the better part of the trade or the better side of the trade.
1: Well, I love the thesis. Uh, I loved it. Uh, I, I mean, like I said, I struggle with some bits which you've answered for me today, which is great. But I thought it was great. I'm definitely going to share it in the show notes. I think you'll probably... Thank you so much. I think we'll have you back on the show pretty soon. I just need to wrap my head around this Bitcoin as an insurance thing. Uh, I'm going to try and set you up with Shift, but I'm going to have to have like some specific rules that he shuts. He shuts the fuck I think up I think it, it
0: would be fun, but he doesn't want it. He doesn't actually. He wants to debate someone that'll build his uh, his Twitter followers. He needs to go after the big. Boys. Yeah, I want to do it. I, I'd be happy to. Well, I'd be happy to do it. Um, I've done it with his son. I, I here's the funniest story though. I actually got Spencer to admit on Twitter that he owned a Bitcoin wallet, but I wasn't sure if I was being. Whatever they call like a a Russian bot was setting me up or whatever. I actually had to go to people who I who had Twitter experience and say, "Do you think this is real? Do you think this is real?" Well, finally, Peter Schiff did respond. The only time he's ever responded to me in a tweet, he goes, "I say, Peter, your son is smart. He's playing probabilities. I think if Bitcoin goes to a million dollars a coin." With a 3% probability, the Bitcoin was trading at about 10000 bucks at that time. With a 3% probability, it goes to a million dollars a coin and a 97% chance it goes to a zero. The expected value of that binary outcome is 30,000 a coin, right? So 97 times zero is zero, 3% times a million. And I quoted Raul Paul. I said, going to a million like Raul Paul. Peter Schiff finally responds to me he goes, My son's only 18 years old. He's an idiot. What's your excuse? <laughs> No. And that was the only that was the only response I got out of him. And and since that day, I'm like, well, first of all, your son is way smarter than
1: he you. is. I'd, okay. I'd love to see him debate.
0: I'm sorry, that. he said, my son's only 18 years old. What's your excuse? And then I get so he didn't call his son an idiot. He implied certainly yeah. that I was an idiot, and I'm okay with that. Come on, Peter. Let's do this and talk real mathematics rather than subjective evaluations of what you think is value.
1: He's been wrong for a decade. I think I'd love to set it up, but the problem is he won't shut the fuck up when we when you uh, debate him. He talks over everyone, and he won't. What he won't ever do is go. "Mm, Let me let me just comprehend what you're saying. Let me rationalize it. Have you got a point? Mm -hmm. It's like he he does that hype thing. He 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 takes his position and post-rationalizes. It's almost a waste of time.
0: well, it's fair, but he also, as a, as a money manager, he'd never manage any of my money because uh, you know, if you don't admit you're wrong at times and no one is ever 100% correct, then you have to make adjustments to your portfolio. And by not adjusting that portfolio, he deserves 0% of people's
1: money. Let's forget, in my let's forget that guy. Listen, Greg, this was amazing. I love this Bitcoin as insurance. Um Okay, this is going to go out soon. I think we will have to do a follow-up because I think I'm going to get a bunch of questions on this. I've loved this, though, and and please keep doing it. My pleasure. Doing. If I can never do anything for you, just ping me, reach out, my man.
0: I'll tell you what, I can't wait till we meet in person in some continent or whatever. I love the stuff you're doing, and I want to thank you as well for being a, uh, you know, uh, uh, you're helping my kids. You, you're bro. helping your own kids. You're helping my kids. You're helping the kids of every country in the future. So thank well, you. Well, I want to come to your pubs. That we have eight of them. If uh, we had eight of them, I don't know how many we'll have after this whole COVID mess, but uh, they're pretty fun. Where
1: are they? What, what, What cities?
0: Montreal. They're all in Montreal.
1: Well, I am meant to be going to Canada this summer.
0: Hey, man, it's a sort of small country, but I'll make sure to hook up with you if you're anywhere in this country.
1: Well, I've done the drive from Calgary to Vancouver, which was awesome, but I've not been to Montreal. Um, and I talked to the kids about doing it. And I said, if we go and we're going to go to Montreal because I've not seen it. So there is there's a possibility. Montreal
0: is beautiful. Montreal is yeah. beautiful. Visit Quebec City. I currently live in Toronto. Um, there's so much history in in, in, uh, in, in Quebec. Uh, and then you can, you know, it's very close, right? So Montreal is really, really close to Boston and New York city. Like you could go to Montreal and drive to Boston, drive to New York. They're about five hours each, excuse me, five hours away, each of them, which isn't crazy. It's not like European close, but it's not, it's not that far, you know?
1: Yeah. All right. Well, if that happens, I'll let you know, but listen, love this. Take care. Anything Mm -hmm. you need, you do reach out to me, my man.
0: You are the man. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Peter.
1: Thank you. All right. That was a bit of a beauty, right? Thank you, Greg, for coming on the show. I think all bets are off. Who knows how far Bitcoin can go? Actually, while I'm recording this, it's just dropped down to 56,000. It's crashed. It's died. Bitcoin's dead. <laughs> how many times has that happened? Anyway, it was great to have Greg on the show. Now, Treasury yields was something I knew basically nothing about <laughs> until a few weeks ago when I spoke to Lynn Alden, and it was a pretty hard thing to get my head around. Greg did a really great job of breaking this down and making it simple for me to understand so I hope you understand but if you haven't you got any further questions then do reach out to me I would definitely try and get Greg back on in the future maybe even see if Peter Schiff is up for the debate although I'm not sure there's much to be gained from that Anyway, listen, I hope you enjoyed this one. If you do want to reach out to me, you can hit me up. My email address is hello at dig.com, or you can join my Telegram channel and reach out to me directly there. If you want to support the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. I know you think the show deserves five stars. Please go and do that. Much appreciated. Also, check out neveredit.com, my daily dose of email tech and Bitcoin in your inbox, neveredit.com. And also head over to defiance.news. Our new series is bingeable. It's about Britney Spears. Well, it's really about the conservatorship. You might think that's a bit weird for defiance, but I think it's a hot on topic. So go and check that out. Outside of that, have a great week and I will see you later.